Oh no, I'm getting jumped. What do I do? Find out in today's episode on what to do in this and other scenarios with multiple attackers. From the dojo to the octagon, we bring you the Jiu-Jitsu Master Podcast! Welcome to another edition of the Jiu-Jitsu Master Podcast. This is your co-host, Sri Pendikatla, and joining me is co-host Shihan Russ St. Hilaire, 7th degree black belt in Kobukai Jiu-Jitsu. I'm so excited to be talking to you about another podcast, Shihan. Great to be here. What are we talking about today? I thought we would talk about multiple attackers today. Ah, yes. <laughs> in the movies, we see the hero take out five ninjas or bad guys at once. And I often ask myself, is this the epitome of martial arts mastery? I think it is. I, I just took out five people this morning. And <laughs> it was a piece of cake. Once you know the magic of the martial arts, you too can defeat tens or maybe even hundreds of opponents. I wish it was that way. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> but uh, yeah, there's not too much reality to that, unfortunately. I think any any good martial artist who has spent some time training comes to the realization that we all wish that was real and we see it in the movies and and then then when reality hits it's you you know you're lucky if you can you know handle one person that's really big and strong and aggressive and you know maybe on a great day there's you know some chance you can handle two people but once it starts getting beyond that then then we are talking about Saturday afternoon martial art movies so why don't we start out what really happens in a typical multiple attacker scenario? Yeah, let's let's talk about that and and then we'll talk a little bit about some strategies that you can use because I think you can protect yourself against multiple attackers. It's not the same as what they do in the movies where they defeat them all, but sure, let's uh let's start with that. So here's here's what typically happens. I would say for most people it's probably a situation where they're out for an evening. Maybe they go to a club or a bar and, you know, people are drinking and, you know, words are exchanged. And, you know, typically nobody's really there alone, right? You're, you're there with your friends and there's various groups of people. And, you know, something starts and then all the friends jump in and, and then, you know, it's, it's a melee, right? Uh, it's it's several, several people beating on one person um, or, you know, a bunch of people beating each other up. So I think that's what happens more often than not. Occasionally there's a situation which I think most martial arts imagine, you know, maybe they're walking down the street and there's like three or four kind of thug type guys that want to mug you, take your cell phone, ask for your wallet, whatever. And they kind of rough you up and, and put you up against the wall and make you give them what they want. And I think that does happen from time to time. But I think it's more that first situation more than anything else. You know, I've known several people that have been in that kind of altercation and they've described it to me. It's never pretty. It's it's always a, a mess and it kind of doesn't matter what they, you know, what they know. I know a person who, you know, started fighting with a guy and, and they went to the ground as typically happens. And, you know, we all train for that. But, you know, what we train for, we train for, we go to the ground with an opponent and we fight the opponent. What we don't train for is that we go to the ground with an opponent 
And the other people, the people that you're not fighting with are the ones that end up beating you up. And that's exactly what happened to him. You know, he went to the ground with this person and, you know, they're rolling around and fighting and all of his, all the friends of his opponents just decided to start kicking him in the head and kicking him in the ribs. And, you know, he couldn't do anything with that. He wasn't, he wasn't engaged with them. He was engaged with somebody else and, you know, ended up going to the hospital and having facial reconstruction and all that kind of stuff. So I think that's kind of the nasty reality of what happens in a quote unquote multiple attacker situation. I'd like to ask a couple more questions about that. Yeah, sure. Could you describe the level of training your friend had? It wasn't it wasn't a lot. Um, I, he had done a, a few different things. I don't think he had stayed for black belt in a lot of different arts, but he had done a little bit of judo and he had done you know some some taekwondo and a few other little things. But you know, he wasn't highly trained. But I'm really not sure that that's the important piece, right? Because say you were highly trained. Let's say you're a brown belt or a black belt in jujitsu and, you know, you start in an altercation and next thing you know, it goes to the ground and you feel fairly comfortable there because we're on the ground quite a bit. All right. So you're down there and you're in a guard position or, you know, you're maybe you're going to set up that arm bar or your choke and your mental focus is on your opponent because that's who's directly engaged with you. But it's not on the people that may be around you and they may suddenly become the attacker and you know what do you do then so that is something that you have to really think about in a in a multiple attack situation i mean you you can't be rolling around on the ground you have to use specific strategies to position yourself in a way that gives you the best chance possible of making it out alive do you recall what he said how many people had jumped in he doesn't know he thought it was two or three and they never really jumped in and engaged they kind of were around the fringes and they would you know, come in and kick him in the head and kick him in the face and stomp him in the ribs. But they never really got, you know, engaged like directly. He was still dealing with the person that, you know, they went to the ground with. Would that be considered just starting out as a, you know, as a fight one on one with other friends jo- joining in? Or does, is it is that an example of getting jumped? I, I think it's a little bit of both. I think what's really important is. When you're not one-on-one with somebody, the, the strategies have to change. You can't become tunnel vision focused on just the person that's in front of you. You, ha- you have to be aware of your situation. And I especially like to think about people that are you know, in combat in the military. Right? They might be clearing a building or you know, moving through hallways in an urban environment. Sure, you're there to engage the enemy that's got uh, a weapon, you know, at the other end of the hallway, but there are other people there and things happen. So I can, I'd like to relate two stories. One is from a military friend of mine. Another one is from a police officer friend of mine. I'm talking about a multiple attack situation with the uh, military person. It's exactly what was happening. He was moving through an apartment building, thought that a person that he was supposed to detain was in a specific apartment. So they kind of battered down the door and they went inside. And of course there's an entire family of people in there and, and extended relatives. And they were not happy, you know, that he was in there. So, you know, not only was he searching for this other person with a weapon, but there's other people in the house that are, you know, yelling and screaming and grabbing him by the clothes. And he doesn't know whether or not they're going to have a weapon or not. Turned out that uh, a woman had grabbed a knife and, you know, was just basically grabbing onto his clothes and trying to stab him. And, you know, he had to deal with her, but she wasn't a, a combatant. So he couldn't just like blast her with his gun. And, you know, so it was very, very chaotic. 
And again, this wasn't even the person that he had planned to engage. So I think there's some reality there. A police officer friend of mine, same thing. And this actually happened to him multiple times. So he became very careful. Um, he would respond to domestic disturbances. And he would go in there and, you know, some guy had beat his wife to a pulp. And, you know, he's there to arrest the guy. And the guy starts giving him a really hard time. So, you know, he's pushed this guy down on the couch. He's holding him down with his knee. And he's getting ready to cuff the guy. And then the wife, who literally had just been beaten up by the husband, now sees the cop as the problem. And, you know, she's grabbing stuff out of the kitchen, like pots and pans and plates and stuff, and throwing it at him and hitting him with it. And he's like, you know what? What is going on here? Again, you know, really, you can't tell what's going to happen. So the strategies that you have to have when there is a potential of having more than one person in that altercation are really important. You have to position yourself in a way that is going to provide you as much safety as possible. And believe me, the last thing you want to do is be rolling around on the ground. Wow. Those are some stories that definitely provides a great backdrop to this conversation. We talked a couple of times about strategy. Why don't we talk a little bit more about, about that? And is it simply scenario-based or is there other reasons for multiple attack scenario to happen? Like what, what's, can, can you break that down a little bit for us? Sure, absolutely. So I think the first thing that you have to do is assume no matter what is happening directly in front of your eyes, you have to assume that there is the potential for there to be more than one assailant. So it may just be obvious, right? You're in a parking lot, you're putting your keys into the car. One person comes up and tells you, hey, puts a gun on your back, give me those keys, right? So you're just going on the assumption that there is one guy, but I would not do that. I think that's very dangerous. I think you really have to always consider that there could be other people involved and have that kind of mentality. Be very aware of what's going on around you. You know, like the police officer I talked about, you know, I said it happened multiple times. He got to the point where he was not as tunnel vision focused on just the person he was trying to arrest, right? He was very aware of the situation as a whole. And this was a jujitsu trained black belt police officer. So the skills were there. It's, it's not a, a skills thing. It's really an awareness of potential threats. He just became hyper aware and he would make sure that he didn't, uh, if at all possible, you know, leave his back exposed to where other people could be or to the room. And that's a great strategy. Let me, let me set up a, a couple of strategies. I think no matter what your situation is, if there's other people around and you think that maybe this thing is going to get out of hand and it's not just going to be you and this one other person, you know, here's some of the things you want to do. The first is not allow yourself to be attacked from angles that you are unaware of. Let me go to the extreme and have you picture this. If you were to think of a room, a square room, and you were to back yourself into the corner of the room, right? So I essentially go over to the corner of the room and I put my back in the corner. I have now eliminated the ability for anybody to attack me except for directly in front of me. And that's a strategy. Right? I now have eliminated other routes to be attacked. And you're like, well, but I can't escape. I can't go anywhere. Yeah, but now picture people in front of you trying to beat you. How many, how many people can fit into that space to grab you or to punch you or to, or to kick you? Very few, maybe two. Maybe, maybe two directly and one reaching from behind. Right? You start to really control that situation. 
So it's a little bit opposite of what you think, right? You can make sure that a door is what's behind you. So you have an egress route and you know that if things get out of hand and you can start getting a lot of pressure, you can back out the door. I think that's a, that's a great thing to do. So you have to be able to see the whole space and you have to be able to control the space simultaneously. Another, another strategy too is, you know, sometimes you only have to defeat one person because psychologically when a group of people sees somebody that, you know, is the aggressor in, you know, from their, you know, team, their clan get taken out and get taken out pretty easy. Their brain starts to go, Hmm, uh, am I next? Do I, you know, how much do I really want to do this? You know, maybe Joe is a little drunk. Let's, let's, you know, let's not do this. So that's a strategy too, right? Taking out the big guy, taking out the aggressor. Um, another strategy that's used really well is to, Take one of the people and use them almost as your shield, right? Spin them around, put them in a chokehold, you know, not in order to knock them out, but to just restrain them and have them directly in front of you, right? Therefore, their friends have to go through their own friend to even get to you. I think that's a strategy that works well. But of course, like we've talked about in every other podcast, the strategy that keeps you the safest is to notice that there's an issue and get out of there first. And second, do not be afraid to run, right? If things just start getting out of hand, get out of there, right? Grab your girlfriend, your wife, whatever, and just and just get out of there. Staying around to prove that you can fight multiple attackers is probably a really bad choice. So I, I would say those are some of the strategies I would be thinking about if I was you know, faced with two or three people. What happens now? How does a dynamic change if one or more of the attackers uh, breaks out a weapon, whether it's a knife or a gun or uh, something else? You're pretty screwed. As you know, being a, a jujitsuka, it's, it's hard enough to handle one person. It's even harder to handle another person that's got a weapon and that's fighting hard. Um, when you've got multiple attackers and maybe one or two of them have weapons, you're you're in a really bad place. Again, the strategies that I talked about are still ones that work, whether or not there's weapons involved or not. But, you know, your chances of being severely injured now go up quite a bit because because a weapon is involved. You know, that's just something to think about. That's where the escape, the runaway, that, that sort of thing is, is very, very important. You know, I think a great exercise to give people the reality of what it's like in the dojo is to do a multiple attacker scenario. Now, let me describe that because I think over my 30-something years of training, I've seen multiple attack scenarios in dojos many, many, many times, and they're all the same. There are three, four, five people surrounding somebody, and then they say go, and the person in the middle defends himself as each person attacks them one at a time. Right. So it's more like you're really defending yourself against one person and the other person just attacks right away. But that's just not the reality. I would say the exercise you really need to work with is just start with two people. Right. Just two people. And when you say go, they both attack you simultaneously at the exact same time. They both grab you, tackle you, punch you, whatever it is they want to do. But they do it at the exact same time and see how that feels. See how much your martial art technique works it's going to be an eye-opening experience. And then, you know, when you do that enough, like you do anything, you'll start to understand how the angles work, where you put people, where you put yourself, 
how to create space, how to create a safety zone. But at the beginning, even two people will probably just destroy you. You know, make that three people. The reality of it is two of them destroy you and one of them is trying to get in there, but there's just not enough room, you know. So they're, they're maybe like striking you from the outside or maybe they grabbed your foot or something like that. But it's a lot different than what martial arts schools practice. And I, and I think that's a disservice to students because, you know, they think that what they do in class is how it's going to be in reality. And that's just not the case. So, again, I urge any martial artists that's out there listening to this and they want to see what it's like to defend against a multiple attacker. Just take two trusted buddies at your school. Tell them to attack you simultaneously. You guys can put on, you know, uh, gloves or a helmet or a mouthpiece or whatever and just have them go at you simultaneously. And you will see how hard it is to really defend yourself against multiple attackers. I could certainly attest to that. Um, I've, I've done this exercise in your dojo a number of times. Yes, you have. <laughs> <laughs> so it's it's a lot of fun thinking about it retrospectively, but while in you're doing it, it is it is not easy. As you said, it, I, I, I can just share my quick feedback about it. Yeah, please do. With two people, both of them attacking at the same time. First of all, overall, it is exhausting. Oh, it's, yeah. <laughs> it's, it's absolutely exhausting. You do that maybe two or three rounds, you're done. That's like doing a whole class of Nuasa. Yeah. Because you know, people are running around you. You're running around trying to trying to keep one in front of the other. That's one of the techniques and strategies uh, you know, mm-hmm. I, I was taught. Um, just doing that alone, it's hard. The adrenaline is is pumping at full throttle. So that's the closest thing I know to you know an altercation like that. Well, that's not true. I did have something in college that happened to me, but that's <laughs> uh, for a story for another day. Yeah, um, yeah. But but it is true. There's so much reality to it. It's not it's not I'm fighting one person at a time. It's it's your you know you're fighting four arms and four legs and you know it's just incredibly incredibly hard. If anybody's listening to this is from another martial arts school and they claim to do self-defense, you really need to try this out because I thought prior to coming to Kobuka Jiu-Jitsu that I knew how to defend myself. And, and part of it was what I was taught or what I read that there were secrets hidden inside techniques that I was practicing in Akata or something and that compared to what happens in, when you're actually trying it, even with your trusted buddies or friends, is, is two different worlds. Right. And, and you know, these guys are in class. Um, you work with all the time, and they know you, and they don't want to hurt you. So even in that exercise, yes, they're absolutely trying to hit you, punch you, take you down, prove that you can't defend yourself against a couple of people. But there's no malice, right? They are not trying to injure you. Now, now add that to what happens in a multiple attack situation where somebody actually wants to hurt you. And it is a dangerous, dangerous place to be. And we work on hundreds of techniques to help protect ourselves. And that absolutely gives you an advantage, right? Not knowing what to do to somebody's arm or leg or how to throw them or how to choke them or any of those type of things, how to strike them. I mean, that puts you at a significant disadvantage. But even when you know those things, just the physics and and the dynamics and the math um, of multiple attackers puts you at a significant uh, disadvantage. And again, I, I go back to what I like to do, and I'm not saying that works for every everybody. The first person that even makes a micro move towards me, typically the first thing I do, and now, of course, I'm giving away all my secrets for all you multiple attackers out there, um, 
I, I just, I kick the first guy in the groin as hard as I can. Like, you know, I just really just wail on them. And now I know at least for the next three seconds, I'm only dealing with the next person, right? Because I've just kind of taken him out. And that, that typically works, especially if you do sort of that pushing kick to the front of the groin, kind of bends them at the hips and shoves them back. You know, that's a great first move to just get them out of there. Uh, again, you know, it could be just elbowing the first guy in the face, whatever it takes to take that first guy who was the aggressor and take him out as quickly as possible. Just gives you a couple extra seconds to deal with the next couple of people. I, with whatever degree black belt I have after however many years, if I saw two or three guys and I had the choice to back off or to run, that would absolutely be my first choice. If not, then it's just survival, right? You have to do what you have to do. Well, Shihan, uh, you've added a whole nother dimension to everything that I've learned and everything that I've been taught even at your school. And, you know, I'd like to call you the Einstein of self-defense and jujitsu because <laughs> you're adding another dimension and talking about physics here. There's a lot here that you've opened my eyes to and hopefully to other people. Just a couple more questions. Sure. Absolutely. Are there any multiple attack scenarios on the charts at Kobukai and can they be adapted to multiple attacks? I know it's a lot of times one-on-one. If not, though, why not? So there, there aren't any, um, and that's definitely on purpose. One of the schools I was involved in when I was coming up in the martial arts did have uh, multiple attack scenarios. But again, they, they were the same type I was just talking about, where you were circled by four or five, six people, and they all attacked you, you know, one after the other after the other. And I knew fairly early on that that was not reality. I never wanted to at least give the psychology to any of my students that that was actually a possibility. So no, I have not done that. But the second half of that question is, are the techniques that we have learned adaptable? Absolutely. So imagine you're backed into a corner. There's one guy grabbing your, you know, your lapel. He's going to start punching you in the face. The other guy's, you know, grabbing at your pockets, trying to get your wallet or, or whatever. He's, he's going to pull your feet out from underneath you. And imagine not knowing anything, like having no idea what to do whatsoever. I mean, that's just got to be a horrifying experience. I can't even imagine what that's that's like. All I can think about is back to the first fight I ever had way before I ever joined jiu-jitsu. This guy just started pounding me, and we ended up on the ground, and he's sitting in the mount position, and he's just pounding me in the face, and I had no idea what to do. Um, my arms were flailing out to the side, and only because one of my arms that were flailing out to the side landed on a rock, and I picked up the rock and hit him on the side of the face with it, did he fall off and I ran away, but there was no training involved. That was just like caveman primal stuff. Now you're a trained jujitsuka, right? And now you're in that situation at the very least you have an understanding of how physiology works, right? You know how to twist an arm, you know how to off balance somebody, how to throw somebody, how to take somebody down, how to resist being taken down, uh, how to wrist twist somebody, all these things that without training, you would have no idea what to do that, that gives you some kind of advantage. Yes, it's still you're still at a disadvantage in a multiple attack situation, but it just gives you an advantage over the untrained person, and and I think that is that is really key. Shihan, you talked a little bit earlier about what happened in actual events that have been recollected to you by people that you know. Yes, and that's a pretty terrible outcome. What happened to, <laughs> yeah, um, you know, your friend? What are the other outcomes that could possibly happen? 
like I mentioned, there was a police officer, and and after his first big surprise on on what the real situation was like, he became much more aware of his entire surroundings and where he positioned himself, and you know to not get tunnel vision and to control the situation. Um, uh, you know, he described to me how the first time when he put that guy down and wanted to cuff him, he was just focused on doing that. And, and then he became much more focused on controlling the person that he was going to detain, but then to also look directly at the other people in the room and give them commands, sit down in that chair, get out of the kitchen, right? Like totally aware of the possibility that they could become combatants at any moment. And so, you know, he, he started to reprioritize the things that he was doing in those type of situations. So obviously that led to much, much better outcomes going forward. The person that ended up in the altercation and, and having to have surgery, he admitted a little bit later that there was, uh, you know, some ego involved. And it's it's not ego like, hey, I'm better than you, but it's ego that got him enough trouble. He's walking with his wife and, you know, there's a bunch of drunk people. So number one, you're in a place where it's a problem, right? It, it, there's already a, an environment that you know, can spawn fights. So, you know, mistake number one, but yeah, you know, we all do that and that's fine. But he, he just wasn't aware. He wasn't like, you know what, we, we, you know, here's all these people making tons of noise and like just out there on the street. Maybe we should just go the other way or maybe we should take a cab or, you know, something to avoid that situation. So I think his ego was like, no, nah, I got this, man. I'm a, I'm a pretty big guy. We're just going to walk through this and head back to the car. And I think in hindsight, he saw that as a little bit of ego. You know, some guy smacked his, his wife's butt and he had words with him and he felt later he could have just said, man, that was effed up, but we should have just ignored it and just moved on. Like I knew that this was a, a problem place and yet I, I engaged. You, you just have to be smart in those type of situations. He, he learned a lot from that. Wow. Thank you for sharing that lesson. I, I mean, I consider myself a pretty boring average person and <laughs> far from it's true. <laughs> well, thanks. Um, you know, in my everyday routine, it, it it doesn't get any more classical movie boring than living in suburbia, going commuting to work and coming home and occasionally running to the shopping mall or grocery or this or that or other thing. Um, what type of multiple attack or any kind of attack scenarios could occur? in my, you know, world. Well, let me first say that 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 life that I know you're you're somewhat facetiously saying is normal and boring, uh some parts of the world would dream of having a life like that where they felt safe every day, where they didn't really have to think about, you know, somebody's going to grab my daughter and rape her or somebody's going to come into my house because I have more food than they do and they're just going to shoot me and my whole family. I mean, we have the luxury of having boring, mundane lives and, and you know, we have to be thankful for that because it's part of what our culture has tried to create, uh, as violent as the world is, is our safety zones where people can live out an entire life and, and never have a physical altercation. And of course, us as warriors, we... We might even see that as a weakness, like how do you even know you can take care of yourself if that doesn't happen? But I will tell you, you know, there's there's half the world out there wishing they could have that life. But that being said, I mean, we see things like, you know, mass shootings and carjackings and people getting, you know, robbed and beat up, um, you know, in this country, too. So I think you have to be prepared. 
anybody who isn't prepared and something happens, I mean, I'll, I'll certainly feel compassion for them, but the, we have the ability to be trained, right? There are people that can train you how to take care of yourself, can be armed if you feel that's the right thing for you. You know, the knowledge is out there. We know we can avoid dangerous places and dangerous situations. Most people that run into these situations um, have put themselves in a bad place. That is not to say that there can't be a home invasion or something that happens where three or four people come in to uh, somebody leading an everyday, normal, boring life and, and just destroy their life. It can absolutely happen. But it, you have to be as prepared as you possibly can, which means you need to learn physical techniques. You need to learn weapons techniques. You need to learn, you know, psychological and strategic techniques, and you actually have to learn survival techniques because there are so many things that could threaten you or your family. Some of them are other people. Some of them could be weather. Some of them could be natural. Other natural disasters could be war. You, you don't know. So you have to be, in my opinion, prepared for all of them and then hope that you never have to, you know, engage any of them. My advice would be train hard to defend yourself. Learn everything you can from a good, competent teacher that keeps, you know, the reality of of what actually happens in real life in, in their mind and do whatever else you can to prepare for any scenario that may happen. Not that you have to be some kind of crazy survivalist or anything, but just, just be prepared, right? And maybe you'll never have to use it and that will be a wonderful life. But if you do, at the very least, you will, you know, have trained and, and been prepared for it. Uh, as far as a multiple attack situation, in somebody's life like mine or yours, right, where we just, you know, have a job and a house and kids and a family is to avoid fringe areas, right? You don't need to be in places where trouble can happen. Uh, you need to recognize when the crowd around you has started getting out of hand, when people are using alcohol and drugs in excess, so they are starting to behave in a way that's dangerous. People that start to break social norms in a very obvious and forward way, like, you know, breaking glass on the street or jumping on a car or yelling and screaming or pushing each other around or any of those type of things are signals that, you know, these people are ready to take a step further than that if they need to. And so you need to avoid those kind of situations if your safety and the safety of your family is really uh, important to you. And then if you get into those situations, if you're alone, you can use some of the strategies that we were talking about. If you are with, you know, your kids or your wife, you know, they have to become your priority, in my opinion. Their safety is is paramount. You need to get them to a safe place. There can't be any ego involved. It can't be like, I'm going to show those guys who's boss. Like, none of that stuff is going to matter if something happens to your family. So uh, that would be my advice. Well, thank you very much, Shihan. I have no more questions on this. Good. I'm hoping that everybody that's listening to this will take some time over the next two weeks and go do that exercise. Take two of your buddies, have them attack you simultaneously, and uh, do it over and over again and see what see what it's really like. Maybe just don't even do it in the middle of the room. Do it against the wall or do it you know, sitting in a chair or whatever it may be, just so you can understand and your brain can say, hey, I've, I've been in this situation before. And and then you can make a decision, you know, for yourself, how real defending against a multiple attacker is. We all love to see it in the movies. I'd love to be Jack Reacher or, you know, uh, somebody from Mission Impossible. Uh, but, you know, that's a movie. It's it's not real. It's not what, what happens. People that are real operators out there in the field, CIA agents, people that work for government agencies, you know, Navy SEALs, they will tell you themselves 
doing their job means they get in and they get out and they never have an altercation at all. That is their goal. And you know why? Because they're in the reality. They're, they're in there where it really, really happens. And their only wish, these highly, highly trained people, is to never have an altercation. So as martial artists out here, if you start having fantasies about you know, what it's like to take on multiple attackers, ratchet it back a notch into reality and realize uh, you know, the highest trained people in the world don't want to be in those situations. So neither should you.